Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, Fury crew. Welcome to episode 82 of the Coach Fury Podcast. James Newman returns to the show. James is my brother from another. He's also a fellow master DVRT instructor and the owner of Quest Fitness in Guilford, Connecticut. And this is a real solid episode if you've been interested in assisting or leading teaching workshops or certifications. We really go into like how we grew up within that and our approaches and our nerves and our anxieties and our successes and our failures. So uh, I think this one's actually very useful um, as well as we talk about some Avengers Endgame stuff. Uh, I love James. He was in my wedding party. This is a good one. And let's talk about some big things going on. Hey, look, the days of teaching Fury Industries in the living room, the speakeasy of strength, is almost over. On May 6th, all of the small group training classes and most of my personal training are moving to Brooklyn Center Stage, just four blocks down. We're going to have more space, more gear. I'm really excited to work with both Val and Heidi over there. So we are coming out of the living room but we are staying in the neighborhood. I'm really excited. So visit coachfury.com if you want to join the small group training program. I cannot wait. Now's a great time to sign up. If you want to do online coaching due to some people passing certs, I have a few spots open. So hit me up on that if you want to do some Die Mighty online training. Hey, let's talk about some workshops. The first one to talk about actually involves today's guest. So James and I have taught together a bunch whether it was assisting HKCs, RKCs, co-teaching, co-assisting each other uh, at DVRT workshops and certs, we decided to uh, have a special day at our friend Nancy Hollock's place, the Kettlebell Fitness Center in Albany, and we're gonna teach together for the first time in about three years. So we're gonna do the four-hour DVRT workshop with our friends and family over there. So uh, if you like what James has to say or what I have to say, come and take that one. It is only $99, and that money can be applied to a DVRT certification. So that is April 28th, the workshop DVRT, James and I at the Kettlebell Fitness Center. Then I've got a lot of OS glory coming up. Uh, July, uh, sorry, June 9th, Original Strength at MFF Bowery. The following weekend, that's Saturday, June 15th at MSE Strength. Tina's spot, we're doing Original Strength Pressing Reset certification there. Then again, I keep talking about these discounts if you take a DVRT workshop. The DVRT Level 1 and 2 certification is coming to Momentum Fitness on July 20th and 21st. The HKC One Day Kettlebell Cert, August 18th. One more OS that I know of this year, September 7th, Original Strength, ACWA Tulsa. Looking forward to seeing my buddy Dustin out there. And then the following day, September 8th, we're doing the DVRT workshop there. Uh... September 27th through 29th, I'm uh, in Vegas at the DVRT Summit. And then October 26th and 27th. Man, I've been excited about bringing an RKC back to Catalyst Sport. This one is actually almost sold out. We have seven spots left for this one, and there's many months left. So this one is going to sell out on the early side. The new announcement is this. I am very excited for former guest here. Jason Kapnick is an old friend of mine at this point. He's one of my confidants, one of my peers, somebody that I, I lean on for advice, much like James. And he has been promoted to RKC team leader. The guy's a beast tamer. He's an elite level power lifter. He's uh, fantastic at Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he's just a wonderful business person. So uh, I'm very excited to be teaching with him officially as a team leader 
at that RKC, October 26th through 27th. And then look, man, November and December, everybody's stuff is booking up. I can't really uh, lock in the dates just yet, but there's things happening. That is enough about what's going on with me. Here's episode 82, Fury and James Newman. We're recording. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, hey, so uh, first and foremost, the most important part of this conversation is going to be this. Uh, who of the following Avengers do you think will die at the end of Endgame? We have Thor, Hawkeye, Iron Man, Captain America, and for shits and giggles, let's go with Vision. Who do you think is going to die out of those, that crew? I think they're going to pull a multiple reality thing. So I think in certain realities, certain people will die and certain realities, certain people won't. I think you're going to probably get a chance to see uh, Captain America wield Mjolnir, right? I think they're going to pull that off, right? I think that he's going to end up going to reality. I think everything you saw in Age of Ultron where everybody was dead will happen. Everybody will die, but everybody will also get wrapped up maybe in a different alternate reality where mm -hmm. Captain America is going to go back and he's going to marry Pe Peggy Carter and they're going to live out their days. Right. I think that, um, I think Iron Man, he's my, he's my most likely to be gone. He's my anybody, most likely. Anybody else in that crew? No, no. I think they'll, they'll keep Hawkeye on. Right. I think Thor for sure. He's going to become the all father. I, I agree with Thor. I think Thor Ragnarok was finally like, holy shit, we just hit our stride with Thor in terms of right. the solo, solo series. So I, I don't right. see him going. I will say, I think Downey, yeah, I, Iron Man's probably going to go. Yep. Um, I think Hawkeye might go. I think that's a, a, a limited role. He hasn't had the chance to shine quite as much as he deserves. I think he's going to get that in this movie, but then probably be done with it. I'd imagine Renner's is probably getting a bit of a paycheck. I don't mean this in an ego way, a bit of a paycheck for like, a solid role, but I, I always feel like he's a little bit, he, he's the only one that's kind of perpetually held in the background. Yeah. Even in Ultron. A little bit. I mean, you got a little bit more to do in Ultron, you know? But he was already um, in like that retired mindset. Yeah. I, you know, I could see him getting his family back and just hanging everything up, you know, mm -hmm. and they can, don't forget, I think that in the back of their minds, they're putting everybody sort of on the shelf and say, hey, we're going to go forward. But like every other comic book store, you know, they come back, right? You can guarantee Wolverine's going to be back at some point. He's not dead in the Marvel Universe, you know? That's true. Do you, do you think, well, I guess we can't now, because Fox happened too late to get any sort of X-Men Fantastic Four spoilers in this, right? No, I think the next one is, um, although they may, they may pop it in there, right? Because it looks like if they're playing with alternate realities, they could have some sort of bump-ins. They can have all sorts of cameos. That could potentially be an after-credit scene. Well, I think they were talking about Eternals being an after-credit scene. Ooh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, so it should be interesting. Oh, they already signed Angelina Jolie to play Cersei, so. Oh, my gosh. They signed somebody else, too, that I'm spacing out on the name. Uh, uh, oh, my gosh. He's from Silicon, Silicon Valley and uh, the Big Sick. Camille. I'm forgetting his last name. That guy, he's he's going to be in it too. I don't know who's okay. playing that. Um, um, 
Yeah, I can't wait, man. We're, we're in this wonderful time. I, I, was, I was freaking out about it a little bit because this is the type of stuff I freak out about, real life problems. That Endgame is like less than three weeks, less than two weeks away. Yeah. Godzilla is like two weeks after that. Right. And then Spider-Man. Well, then John Wick and then Spider-Man. Then, oh, that's right. That's right. John Wick looks sick. That looks sick. That. Slam the phone down. Nah, just a freaking bunch of uh, robocalls all day long. Hey, listeners, right under the comments, who do you think <laughs> is on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> Call this number. Hey, so one of the things James and I talk about a lot is, uh, and, and we haven't really pre-gamed this. James and I, more than almost anybody else, if probably actually more than anybody else that I've ever taught with, have taught together either assisting one another, co-leading workshops or certifications. And one of the things that we have coming up is I realized through Facebook memories that James and I haven't taught in almost three years together, right? I think 2016 was the last cert. Uh, I think we co-led that DVRT level one and level two. Yep. Right? At uh, Larry's place, right? Was that 2016 or 2017? I think it was 2016. That's a a good question. Uh... That's the one that Brian Flynn went through. Yeah. I want to, part of me thinks that that was 20, yeah, it had to have been, because 28, my, yeah, it had to have been, because 2017 was the last summit, I wasn't there, because I was on my honeymoon, because I got married that year, right, right, so it was 2016, so we haven't taught together, so uh, coincidentally, my friend Nancy Halleck from the Kettlebell Fitness Center in Albany was like, reaching out to me about doing something at her place, and our dates weren't lining up, what did we want to do, I've done some kettlebell workshops out there, and Nancy and a lot of her crew, like Bev Ploicha, Bev, I'm apologizing if I murdered your last name. Um, we're actually at the first DVRT workshop I ever taught, which might have been the official first formatted DVRT workshop that ever actually happened outside of Josh. No, I, I taught one before that. Okay, it was the uh-huh. second one. Yep, two before but, that. But James was third one. All right, dude, how many more? Uh, <laughs> but James was at that one backing me up. So I was like, let's do this. Let's combine all these families and we're all going to do a a DBRT workshop. And that's coming up on the 28th. If you listen to the show without fast forwarding through the beginning part, you've heard that one, right? So James and I are going to go teach. And one of the things that I think James and I have done a really cool thing that I want to sort of share. We talked about it a little bit on the, on the, the first time James was on. This is the second time is James and I ping pong back and forth information and ideas about teaching and how to approach instructing um, both from this weird thing of carrying a mantle. Um, you remember that, like I, we, we talked about, it, I think on the first episode together, but, but that morning when we were doing the first, we level, the first? One, level two, yeah. Oh, sorry. Level one, cert That wasn't taught by Josh Henkin it was the first one ever. First one ever at catalyst sport. One of the homes away from homes here. Um, <laughs> explain kind of how what, what we were both fe- feeling other than shitting ourselves because <laughs> that was definitely a big part of it well i i think that was the the biggest thing we, we were both extremely nervous to be able to to try to step into josh's shoes and 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 take that that role um but also just the honor of being able to s- sort of present this system which is this super super powerful has had just a tremendous impact i think on both our our coaching styles um and i remember just, you know, the honor, aside from wanting to crap myself the entire time, um, the, you know, and, until we started actually teaching, uh, it's just the honor to be able to, to do that, to be the ones that are leading it out of the box, you know? 
it's a really bizarre thing to when you get a leadership role even in an assistant capacity but when you have a leadership role and and somebody has, has sort of given you the nod to share a baby and i really do look at it that way like right. here's this thing that we spent time creating right that's the baby but the other side of that is here's this thing that a lot of other people your peers now have paid money and time to be there Right. Uh, especially if it's something like DVRT now that we have the clean and press workshop, uh, clean and press test or the RKC where there's, you know, strength tests involved that they're not only investing their money in the day or the weekend with you, they're investing in their own training. And a lot of the times investing in getting a coach, whether it's online or one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so it's a, it's a big investment. And then, so here we are for the first time, I know when we went into that room getting ready to teach this thing, you know, uh, the, the vision in our head was Josh, right? right. We're doing, how do we be like Josh? What do you think the lesson is, is that uh, from going from that thing about trying to fill Henkin shoes, what do you think is one of the big things you learn after you go through and teach two, three, four times courses? Um, well, I, I think it's about trying. Yeah. I, I think personally it's about trying to find your own voice. Right, because we all sort of take in all this information, and DVRT is a big system, but you're trying to digest it and, and give your take on it. It's one of the reasons I like teaching with you is because you come at it from a very um, a different standpoint than I do, right? Uh, you teach differently than I do. Um, so learning how to sort of find your own voice and how do you sort of connect with the people who are there? How do you, you know, how do you connect with the system and how does it, it translate into what you're we're trying to teach? It's, um, it, it takes time, right? Because the first couple times you do it, you're just trying to parrot what Josh says and, and what he's done before, um, aside from the jokes that he will throw out. You try, you got your own. Um, but you're trying to find what's your style, what's your teaching style. Um, and again, like I said, it's one of the things I, I love about teaching with you is because you have a very specific style. I love the way you teach. Um, so it's always, it, it's a learning process for me to teach with you, but to also to watch you teach. Um, and I think it's very interesting. I think in that regard, when the two of us teach together, we sort of fill in the gaps that we have, right? So I can always, every time we teach together, I always say, hey, listen, I really like the way you did that. Um, I love the way you make a room feel at ease from the get-go, right? So the second, the first uh, thing that happens is, boom, from the second we start, you have everybody laughing. It usually starts off with a joke. Everybody's, we're here, all here to learn. Everybody feel comfortable. No one's above you. No one's below you. We're all here to share this experience. And I think you do a great job of making the room feel at ease so that we can laugh, so that you're not looking over and say, what do they know that I don't know? everybody's going to feel I don't know what I'm doing because I think in, in trainer land I think there's a lot of insecurity as to I don't know as much as the next guy and you know certainly when you're in a room with people who might be just fitness enthusiasts and you know they're nervous about I don't I don't I'm going to come across as a fool because I don't know what the guy next to me does it's important that someone take the reins and say we're all here for the same reason we're all here to learn from each other uh, and I think that's something that you do fantastic. It's something that I try to sort of instill when I teach, but I certainly get that from you. Well, I mean, I, well, thank you, first and foremost. But also, I, I do think you help fill in the blanks because I think one of the aspects, I definitely, if I have a skill in presenting, or it is about creating the environment for the most part and, and creating that, like, 
room experience, right? You never necessarily, I shouldn't say never. It's, it's, it's also learning to expect that you're not necessarily going to get everybody. Right. But that you really invest in the majority of the room and, and hook them in. Right. And I don't mean in any sort of sales creepy way. I just mean you have to create an engaging moment. Otherwise in fitness in particular, but I guess this is with anything you just don't want it to be like, I'm, I'm collecting my initials for the sake of my continuing education. Right. You have to create some sort of an emotional connection. Um, whether it is actually, whether it's an ultimate sandbag, whether it's DVRT, whether it's OS, whether it's a kettlebell, um, you have to create some sort of an emotional connection either to the implement, to the system, or to yourself to get the buy-in for the other two things, if that makes sense. So right. someone comes in, likes that I make a Keanu Reeves joke, suddenly there might be a little extra, and now there's a little buy-in to me. I happen to be emotionally invested myself in sandbags and DVRT, so maybe that actually seems worthy to them. Or they've been messing around with a sandbag for a while, now they understand the system, they're connecting with me through it because I'm actually helping them learn the system, and then there's like a joint buy-in. But right. I think one of the things in terms of the growth of both of us as instructors is it is to not parrot, you know, uh, just repeat and, and, and be a parrot of Josh Hankin. Um, I'm not smart enough to even come close to that. And in a lot of ways, nowhere near with you as well. You fill in while I'm focusing on the experience and some of the big rocks. You're good at getting into some of the, um, the anatomy and the specifics of certain things, right. whether it's technique or, or the why behind. Um, I tend to be, it's a weird thing when you're focusing on the clock so much too, like making sure we're going to get to this right. end point that sometimes I do think I skip some things, not big rock stuff, but sometimes there's like small rocks that are gems that I'm like, ah, oh, I should have really focused on that thing. Uh, but I do think the buy-in happens when somebody has a great experience of the day. They pick up, uh, they had a good time. Maybe they met somebody, maybe they connected with you or I. They had fun with the sandbag. They did something new or got better at something. Right. And then they leave with that, that has them wanting more. And whether that's taking like a certification after, say it's the workshop coming up on April 28th, <laughs> <laughs> or the certification coming up on July 21st or 22nd at Marco's Momentum Fitness. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, this is if, if, if somebody's listening, thinking about presenting, I think this is an important stuff. The big thing is that idea of finding your voice. How do you honor the material while being yourself because no well, one's going to want to hear me pretend to be josh hankin right well I, I think that comes into the passion you have for what you're teaching too because i don't think you can fake that I, I think that if you're going up there and you actually buy into the system if you've got a love for what you're doing for what you're teaching right you just have to sort of let yourself get out of your own way right because the second we start teaching or actually coaching i always say that the, the hardest part about teaching a certain workshop is the first 15 minutes, right? Because once we actually touch the bag, once we're on to that, then you're just doing what you're born to do, which is coaching. Let yeah. me show you what I've been doing for the last 10 years, right? Um, and that's the easy part. But I think that once we get to that point, you really find that passion. And again, <laughs> to your credit, I think you have a great passion to sort of teach people, right? I think that's part of what's happening when, you, when we're in a cert together is that, you know, you, you're really genuinely uh, invested in, in having everybody have a good experience. We're generally invested in sharing the passion we have for this system, no matter what you're teaching. And again, we've taught RKC together too, and that comes through in, in everything that you teach. Uh, thank you, man. Uh, it's hard to follow up sometimes on that, but no, I, you know, I, I agree. I'm awesome. <laughs> 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 I 
saying. Uh, I, I think the thing is this, right? Like, uh, there, there's approaches to the room, and, and I approach it that I am on par with everybody. No better, no worse. Well, maybe actually worse than anybody, but I just happen to know this thing, right? The thing you're in the room for me with me that day, that might be that I know that, right? right. So I'm going to share. I'm not going to say that your stuff's wrong. I'm just going to say we're going to share this. I, I know these things, right? So it seems like I have a lot of leadership titles, and I do. I'm very lucky for that. But it's like the same things that I've been working on are also the same things that I generally coach and program and train. So I'm just, right. just experience, right? And I, I think so there's the way you, I, we approach the room is no better, no worse. We're here to share with an open mind and hopefully they bring in an open mind as well, right? The other way that people approach it sometimes is like, check out my title, I'm leading this room, right? And I think some people, it's a paycheck. Like I'm just gonna come in here, do this thing and cash a check. And, and it's so stressful trying to fill a room, like uh, trying to promote a workshop, trying to get people to show up, trying to prove your value. That when they sign up, especially, I think this is a big thing for you and I, right? Imposter syndrome, if we want to open up about it. Like, right. you know, Josh Hankin had taught this thing exclusively until we came along. And then suddenly, we're the first two people outside of him to do it. And some of it is courses we set up. Sometimes it was filling in while he was dealing with, like, his back issues and stuff. And that, that those are, like, big shoes to fill because it's not even, like, another master instructor passed it to us. It's, like, system creator. So there's that how do I live up to it? Am I going to be good enough? But then you start to find your voice and you start to see what, what's been interesting with me over the last two years. And I'm sure you've seen, felt this too. Um, when you teach is you start to see things differently than how Josh might've presented. You start to connect dots a little bit, a little different. Like you might've seen something happen at a one workshop that's suddenly like, ah, oh, and you start to cue or you, you describe something in a different set of words than you had the last time or the last two times. Right. We were trying to just like repeat the same things, but the big rocks are the big rocks. The curriculums don't change all that much uh, over time. And I think that's where the, the, the more you start to feel that coming, the more you start to feel the diminishing sense of imposter syndrome. Right. I still feel like people are going to be like, who the fuck is this dude? <laughs> He's in his 40s. Uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't have shredded abs. He, he looks of moderate strength and he collects Godzilla toys. Uh, I, I'm still, I sometimes go in and I'm like, hmm, but then I start teaching. I'm like, oh, I know this. Nobody's yeah. going to really like come around on this on the sandbag. And, right. But how did you feel? Did you feel imposter syndrome at the start? And like how many courses down the line were you involved with where you started to feel like less of that as a thing? You know, I, it's funny because I think that every course you teach is a little different. Right. I remember the first one I taught out of the box, you know, we became master instructors. They said, hey, go out, fill up a workshop. Um, and I did. And it was, I'll be honest, it was a shit show. Right. Only because I, I wasn't in control of my own emotions and I couldn't figure out how, to, how I was going to present what I was going to present. Um, everything was sort of discombobulated. I, and I was more nervous than I was ready to teach. Um, but I think that's a natural progression. The, uh, the next two that I did, I got better each time, right? And then after that, it was funny because I, I, I taught like three in a row and then my, and I started to feel like I got my feet under me and I felt better about everything. And then I had a really crappy one. It was just, it was one where there was a lot of stuff going on in the gym. There was a blizzard the day I got there. So it was like, it was just everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Half the people could only stay for half the time because, you know, the snow was coming down, so they had to leave. Um, so 
you know, I, I think every situation is different. I think that the more you do, certainly the better you get at it. Um, I, I think when it really sort of settled in for me is when the two of us taught together that time. You know, I had about three or four workshops in, under my belt. Um, and then all of a sudden we were on our own. And I thought, I felt sort of like when we taught that cert together, that we really, we, we nailed it, right? And I, I felt really comfortable watching someone other than Josh teach it, right? And I was like, oh, it's okay to have a different voice. You know what I mean? And that, that was a really, I think that was an eye-opening moment. Um, and then after that, everything got easier, right? Because like you said, we know, the, we know the system. We know what we're teaching. It's just a question of getting out of your own way, get out of your own head, and just share what you know, you know? And, and I think, you know, three or four in, you start to feel like, oh, I got this underneath me. Things are going to happen. Not every moment's going to be great, but you do the best that you can and you share what you know when you share your passion. I don't think you can go wrong when you share that passion. I think that's huge. I think that's like super valid. I think the, the biggest part is when you're starting, you want it to be so perfect. And then you got to go like, no, it's not. And, and, and some of that's in your control. And some of it's not. I wrote a bunch of things just for the OS leadership um, about like, you know, pre-gaming and, and pre-flight checklist before a course. Like how, to, right. how, do you, how do you sort of plan for bad things to happen right. so that it doesn't have such an impact on the day? And I think that is one of those things. And I think it's actually, you know, mentioning how we value the time and the money and the, and the space away from home people come to come in. Like, look, the things are going to happen. You, it takes like one close-minded person one right. person with an attitude to sort of alter the room right but within that you learn how to deal with it it's like heckling it's like unintentional sometimes maybe it is intentional heckling i know i haven't dealt with this at, at a dvrt course but i know i had an os course where you know a, a, a younger trainer who's in a lot of pain kept counteracting the things we were talking about but it was like you are in a lot of pain. You've already admitted this. How would this heal you in 10 minutes? Like, and, and all the things she was saying, I was like, uh, kept coming back in my head. Like, would you just like back off? Like, I didn't say that to her, but what I had to do, what ultimately was, cause it was having an impact on the room. And, and she was kind of alone in it. Uh, here's another little coaching tip when you're leading a room, right? When you're instructing. Uh, folks, if you have a lot of people from the same gym or a chain of gyms, right? Separate it's, them. It, it's a, it's, it's try to separate them, but also be prepared that they, somebody's going to want to try to show off and act like they're the smartest of their group within the bigger group. And right. that's basically what was happening. So I had to politely, you know, counteract or, or, or disprove what she was trying to throw my way with proof of the system. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you also have to realize like, you know what, this conversation needs to end. Hey, we can talk about that after if you want to dive deeper. It's, or it's out of the context of the course. Or, right. hey, I don't know. This was a situation where I knew like you're just messed up and you're going to lift no matter how banged up you are. Um, no matter how bad your hips and shoulders hurt, you're still going to go overhead squatting. I'm not going to be able to help you with that because you probably need physical therapy. You probably need potentially some sort of surgical backup at this point. So, how would any course? whether it was OS, FRC, DVRT restoration, whatever it is that's coming out. Basically, you need FMS to tell you that like your score sucks. Go see somebody, right? Right. So that happens. And it's just a matter. It's not about that person, but those types of people sometimes show up. The other odd one is sometimes you have somebody that's in there that's just like emotional. Like 
whether it's about like, you know, a snatch test and RKC land, but you know that they've, they've invested their money. Sometimes we take for granted when we throw down a credit card for 500 to a thousand dollars for a course that that is like somebody's all their money and they've invested a lot to be there that day. And if they feel they're not doing good, right? Like their swing or their high pull or whatever it might be, isn't good. They start to crash a little. It doesn't happen often, but that's an interesting one too, where they just want to perform at such a high level that it's, 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 we all have to allow ourselves to be fallible, just like us as instructors. So that right. was interesting. Well, I think also too, especially with DBR2, we've seen over the years is a lot of the stuff we're teaching is not easy, right? And if you haven't done this stuff before, you're going to have a hard time. Some people do not walk out of the room mastering the moves where they, you know, they may be in their own little world. They may be the masters of movement for their group of people. And all of a sudden we're sort of, and not intentionally, but we're sort of showing them, hey, listen, there's some deficiencies here that you need to work on. And that, you know, that's one of the things about DBRT. It's also one of the reasons we love the clean and press test so much because it forces people to spend some time learning and working with the bags before you come in. Because I know prior to that, you were seeing people getting fried and just demoralized because it's not easy. It's hard. Well, it's also, you know, with all the courses and workshops and certs that we've taught for DVRT, you know, the, the, the two most complicated movements in there would be the clean to fist and the max lunge. And right. the max lunge is easier to regress if you just go slow side to side as opposed to the more ballistic version. Uh, folks, if uh, imagine doing a re, uh, drop step or reverse lunge with the bag on your side and as you come into an explosive hip extension like a plank, the bag floats and then you bring it down and do a reverse lunge on the other side. So it's an anti-rotation exercise, but the ultimate sandbag as you're doing very quick reverse lunges is starts to float, but you can also do it very slow. You can also do it very heavy. It's part of our, our new um, big six. Right. Yeah, heavy max lunge, same side. But the clean to fist, there really isn't like an actual, other than an offset, true regression to get it on fists, right? So like you can learn the high pull, the deadlift and all that. But if you're not nailing the clean to fist, you can go to outer handles, offset, whatever. But it's not going to lead to the clean and press test. So having something like that where people can get their time in beforehand should be sharpening. And I think that's a weird thing you have to be prepared to when you show up in a room too. Some people, like I always think an RKC should be very much about sharpening the curriculum. Like you should come in already with solid get up, swing, press, snatch, clean, um, squat. And we should be sharpening that and helping you show how to teach it instead of like forging it out of raw materials. Right. DRT, if you have that clean and press test, because most people don't have the background to know all the curriculum within it, because it is complex and it is a little out of the box in a perfectly making sense way, is if you get the clean and press test, you're probably gonna have the baseline coordination, comfort with the bags to be able to pick up all these other new skills we show. Right. And, and that's one of those things that I think we've seen progress. I know when the clean and press test was first instituted, even amongst the leadership team, it was kind of like a crapshoot for any of us. It took a while for a lot of the team to nail that thing. But then again, that is where you and I fell in love, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's also it's a good point because it's also what makes me a little bit excited, more than a little bit, about the idea of the big six, right? Because now you're asking people, hey, listen, there's more than the clean and press. There's more than max lunge. There are these other skills that we really like you to sort of start working on. These are the things, you know, in RKC land, it's like, hey, you got to swing. You got to be able to snatch. You got to do a goblet squat. You got to be able to do a get up. 
in DVRT land, it was always the clean and press and the max lunge, but now there's a whole series of other things that, hey, listen, take a look at this. Um, and it, it really sort of speaks to sort of the complexity of the system and how well-rounded it is as far as attacking all these different, you know, planes of motion, different ways to sort of challenge your stability with, you know, with volume, with load, with planes of motion, with all these different things. So I, I think it goes, you know, even a step further than the clean and press did with preparing people for what it's like to work within the system. So it, it's an interesting thing. I like that the big six finally set some sort of standard too, although some of them are a little on the heavier side of life, but of load. Cause I think a lot of what you see with the ultimate sandbags would be uh, ten, it tends to be lighter bags, people being a little more explosive, more fluid with stuff. And I like that some of these numbers are really big. Now, some of them are gnarly in my opinion, yeah. but uh, I've expressed that and I'm going to be training accordingly for them. But I think most of us at the start, on the leadership team, and at least in the olden days, were leaning towards the heavier bags. And then there was a transition where the flow stuff kind of came in and I think took over. And that, you know, it's funny now, I think I never thought about it. That might've been as social media became more popular too, because let's face it, like how many impressive lean to presses are you going to see that really stand out versus like some more ballistic flowy, ultimate sandbag thing, you know, like a cyclone or something. Right. Well, I, I think that's, that's also speaks to sort of the, the, the strange dichotomy that, that DBRT has working with the ultimate sandbag because it, it has a very big movement group that, you know, someone, you know, I don't want to throw out any names, but someone like Larissa who really, you know, moves in ways with the bag that, you know, I've never seen before. Every time I look at some of her posts, I'm like, wow, I, I didn't even think to do that. And then someone such as yourself who comes from more of a strength background, right? Where let's lift heavy, let's let's do these heavy things. Um, and the bag speaks to both people, right? Yeah. And where do they come together, right? You know, because all these movement endurance athletes need to take a page. They need to start getting stronger, and all our strength athletes need to be able to move better. And you know, it speaks to the power of the system that it allows both people to train together in the same room and and garner the same level of benefit. You know. I think it's an interesting point right now too, where it's within the concept of finding the goals, you know, and, and Larissa is a great example of this is she, she, she's very creative. And I know that's one of the things that drew me to it. So if you understand DVRG as a system and how we progress and regress towards different planes of motions, you, there's still plenty of room to come up with your own stuff that actually makes sense versus sometimes in kettlebell world, you see people just trying to be different for the sake of being different, you know, to get, to get noticed where it's one of the things that's really great about DVRT and drew me in is like, you're not just stuck with six to 10 movements. You, you understand the principles behind them and, and, and how you can progress them to make sense. And there's some cool stuff that's happening now with the new version of the lift program. I haven't done the deep dive into that as yet, but that I've been messing around with almost on my own, and now it's like, oh, it does make sense. Right. Things, right. And I think that's really cool. And Larissa is a great example of that. And it does, if you're more movement minded, if you're more yoga minded, if you're more strength minded, it, it does hit all those gaps. One of the things that I've really loved lately is uh, how Shauna, master instructor Shauna Seven, has been, she's a power lifter. She posts a lot of her just working on her bench and her squat and her deadlift. But when she posts up DVRT, you can see how that fills the gaps in her training. Right. Well, um, so she doesn't just come down, become like kind of bogged down by the big three. And it's just wonderful when you have 
that variety. Whereas in kettlebell land, I feel like you, you, the big six are really useful. And then there's sort of our applied DVRT principles to that. It's interesting how sprinter stance swings and snatches and things are becoming lateral step stuff is becoming more and more popular. And in my head, that's coming out of DVRT. Um, whether or not people want to admit it or not, I think that's coming more out of DVRT's uh, philosophies. Right. But then there's a, there's a big circle of people just trying to do like kind of ridiculous stuff with kettlebells because it's different and that whole risk reward thing. But going back on instructor mode, we, we, we went a little off. Sorry. Uh, no, no, it's not you. It's just the, it's the, the hazard of this show that's conversational and flowy and not a Q&A. So what would be the first piece of advice? We've sort of already covered a little bit of this. Is like somebody is like thinking about teaching a workshop or, or creating a course or doing their first presentation. We've talked about, you know, trying to find your own voice and just getting it started. Is there any other advice you would give to somebody to, to, to make that happen? Like as they're approaching or thinking about becoming an instructor? Cause I don't know if people really fully realize like what that all entails other than well, like we get to lead the room. Yeah. I, I think that, and you and I have talked about this a lot. I think that creating relationships is the most critical piece of the puzzle, right? No matter what you're doing, going out there, talking to people, explaining your passion and, and then being able to relate it to them. You know, how do you get people in? You, you sort of have to have that, that, you know, they talk about that seven minute elevator speech. Well, it goes beyond that, right? Cause I need you to, to trust me. I don't need you to sell you on something. I need you to feel like I'm somebody that you feel you can trust, right? That the advice I'm giving you is not, I'm not trying to sell you, but the advice I'm giving you is good, right? That I'm passionate about it and I, I believe in it. So, I, you know, I think that going out there and talking to people, right? Being open, if you're at another course, you know, open your mind to what's going on. Ask other people to do the same thing. Hey, listen, this is something that's really great. It's really, really worked for me. Um, I, I think as, as coaches, we have a tendency, you know, if you work in a gym to sort of get, you know, in your own little world and the world is you know, like, if you're in a kettlebell gym, kettlebells are all you see, you know, the whole idea that if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, but you have to sort of, you know, create a different perspective for yourself. Um, but it also means you have to get out there and sort of experience other people's perspective and try to understand how your perspective can help them. Not try to change your mind, but hey, look at this, think about this, right? And by creating that relationship and opening that dialogue, you're able to sort of say, listen, why don't you spend some time with me? Let's, let's you know, whether you're just coaching a client or whether you're trying to teach a workshop, if you don't have that relationship, you're not gonna invest the time, right? And I think that's critical. I think we miss that, you know, it's easy enough just to post stuff on social media and hope that people find you Right, you, you put stuff on Facebook and hey, I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna teach this, but it doesn't work unless you're actually out there talking to people, letting them understand or ask you questions. Say, listen, while well, you wanna learn more about it, come back and, and we're gonna do this course. Right, every, every, um, every course I've been to over the last five years, I've always gotten, my, I'm always talking to somebody, trying to create a relationship with somebody, and that's led to other people coming to my courses. And I think that's critical. I think without that component, you're basically spinning your wheels, you know? I, I, I agree. James and I have had, and folks, you've heard this podcast. We talk about social media a lot on this. And, and, and James and I talk a lot about, you know, uh, invest, time investment in, in, in posting and social media and whatnot. And I've mentioned on here that, you know, it is the instructor roles actually that, that sort of push me to post. Um, I don't mean a specific person or group. I just mean 
I would be using social media a lot less if it wasn't for this podcast and, or for work, if it wasn't for having instructor roles in these groups. Cause I do feel like I do sort of need to market myself to trainers or make myself aware with trainers so that they, they might come and take one of these courses and find value in it. If they don't know me or that like, Hey, I'm still out here. I haven't, you know, faded off yet. And, but on the flip side, one of the things that we had a, a really big conversation out of the DVRT summit, uh, gosh, man, it was like four or five years ago now, right? The one where yeah. we talked about assisting was yep. assisting. And I've mentioned it on this podcast, and it's funny because we have an RKC coming up, a catalyst that, that's, that's almost sold out at this point. Uh, I'll announce it here. It'll be public by the time this comes out. Jason Kapnick, co-owner of Catalyst, is now an RKC team leader. This will be yeah. his first time team leading at an RKC. Um, Jason's awesome. He's been with me a bunch of times, but we're almost sold out. And I've already had like several people reaching out about assisting which is great because it's local. And I know like if Josh shows up in a town or somebody shows up like OS is a little different because we assign assistance for that. But like, you know, people will rally behind Josh and go there. But what doesn't happen as much as people traveling out of the way to assist with others or in other organizations, because it is an expense. It's not cheap and it's time consuming. But I'll say, I don't think James and I would be talking right now. I don't have, I, I, would, I know I wouldn't have any sort of kettlebell uh, name in that world if it hadn't been through investing in assisting, because there's a few things, and, and I wanna stress this for anybody that's been on the fence about it, and then I'll give some action steps, right? So when you assist, usually like in the form of the RKC, it's an, it's an opportunity to recertify. So your cert is valid for three years, instead of paying whatever the fee is to recertify and go through again, you can assist, so you're, you're, you know, you're working through it. And what that allows you to do is, it allows you to see from the inside how you're approaching the attendees, which is very different than being an attendee. But they're also your peers, so you're learning how to communicate amongst other trainers in a different way from a different level. So if you're thinking about instructing, like that's a good way to go about it because you're working with your friends, but you do potentially, for the most part, especially over time, have a slightly higher level of knowledge on this thing, but doesn't make you a better coach. Again, like having some higher knowledge on one topic doesn't mean you have higher, top, higher knowledge on all the topics. The other thing it does is like, for me, it was an opportunity to recertify, at least in kettlebell land, or get to see Josh do things and show my technique again. And I know like, you know, uh, every now and then when something comes up, I'm like, hey, Josh, can you take a look at this? Like, I know there's a few things uh, at MFF, and this is going back some years, where, you know, I've got the nice arthritic bunion foot on the right foot. And guess what? I'm never going to have quite the max lunge that James Newman has. And smile. <laughs> When he has that, because like my anatomy is a little different. That knee's going to come in a little bit because my big toe just doesn't line up, right? Um, but I've had that review so that I know and I'm aware of my own movement. And then if you want to instruct, like if that is potentially a goal, you get to see other people do it, both good and bad, what works, right? So it's not just working with other coaches. I've gotten to see a who's who in the world of kettlebells. Um, I've gotten to see a number of us in our DVRT world and Josh present several times, but a number of us also assist and present little sections. Same thing for OS. I've gotten to see so many people present on top of the workshops that I would pay to go to outside of that, you know? So you pick up like what connects with you, what do you align with, what fits might be your teaching style, where wouldn't you do something? And so I think assisting is like a good way. Now, the big part of that too is what James just said. You make connections where you start to make friends or you help somebody out. Like, I think it was Mark Fogel. Mark, I apologize if it wasn't you. 
But at the first RKC I assisted, we were going through the grad workout. At the end of every RKC, and I think Strong First 2 still has grad workouts, you know, there's this rather intense workout. And, and part of it is uh, the assistant's job. Comment, who's on the phone? Nobody, hung up. <laughs> is, is to make sure people are safe, that they're not going too heavy. And there was a point where I had to be very stern. And Mark, I apologize if this isn't you, but I had to be very stern and be like, look, if you can't control that, I'm taking it away. We're going to go lighter. Like two years later, I'm at a different course and Mark comes up to me and thanks me for that. Right? Like those are the type of moments. Now that wasn't like a brilliant me thing, but there's moments that can make, make deeper connections. Um, I'll stress when you're assisting, you know, the people you have lunch with, the people that you, you know, have a protein bar with, the people that you might go to the bar, have coffee with after, those are going to become buddies. Like, I'm not going to lie. James Newman's an example. Annie Vo, both in my wedding party, right? Like friends that were just like, hey, let's get lunch. Hey, would you mind checking this out? And that's how you start to build a cadre outside of social media. People that might want to see you teach a course because they know you have value already because you've had an impact. You've already displayed yourself on a less threatening level as an assistant. It's way less threatening than leading the room. So you're getting all this experience and then suddenly you start teaching. And I think the biggest thing, and James and I talk about this all the time is these leadership roles all, all provide opportunity. And if you're not going to use it to teach, I question why you would need it. I don't, if anybody's feeling offended that might be listening to this show, uh, I, I, I sort of half apologize, but like, a master title in any group should be leading towards teaching because it's an instructor role. Um, not necessarily uh, creative content stuff is part of it, but it's an instructor role and instructors teach. That's how I view it. You might view it differently and super valid. I'm not saying no to you at all, but I think James and I come from that thing that if you have a role, you're going to teach. So I got promoted in the HKC and, and the RKC. I teach at least two to three of those a year got promoted into DVRT. I tend to be involved with at least one level one and level two certain two to three workshops a year. OS, I tend to do three to four, uh, man, last year, I think I did maybe five or six of them last year. Um, and with that, you get better. So assist, when you have the opportunity, take the shot, right? Even if you think it might suck, you're probably going to be better than anybody in that room in terms of the content you're delivering and be okay that like you're not going to be perfect. James and I have both uh, been less than great. Folks, I literally farted demoing the Goblet Squad. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> things are going to happen. Um, you're going to miss certain things, but you're going to remember not to do that again and then self-analyze yourself, right? Like I critique myself um, and I give feedback, especially in OS. Like I give feedback on myself and directly to my assistants and then I let the owners know and the founders know how I think we did. There's nothing talking behind one of my assistants back because I've already had that conversation with them. James and I have had those conversations. Like, I know I like to talk a lot about the deadlift. Uh, <laughs> James likes to say MK a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, so we've had those conversations. Uh, so just, but just get out there and, and do it. And even if it's a small attended one, like James has had low attended workshops. I have had low attended workshops, but over time that happens less and less. Sometimes it's in your hands. Sometimes it's not. But those human connections are more likely to pay to come to see you than just like I saw a couple of cool posts. That takes a long time right. to get somebody so excited about to come. So it's kind of both things, but I think the human connections are more important. 
I just rambled. I apologize, James. No, but that was perfect. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I think you're right. I think I think when you're developing those connections, I, I mean, again, look at, you know, when we first met at the Master Instructor Summit, if you took Steve and I and put us in a room together, there's a good chance you'd think they were, you know, we are literally the country mouse and the city mouse, right? Aside from the fact that we have no hair, we're very different people, but we share a passion. And, and, and if you don't take the time to talk to that person, you don't realize how connected you are. You know, quickly with a quick conversation, we figured out we were both comic book nerds uh, and that we love the system and that we love each other. So it was, it was, you know, I would have never known, right? I wouldn't have been in your wedding party, all these things, if I didn't take the time to sort of say, hey, I, I like what you said there. I, I love this move that you showed me. Tell me more uh, so I get to know you better. Uh, and then, you know, from there, you just build on it. Right. And you have to be able to do that with other people. You have to be able to sort of wherever you are, sort of make that connection, reach out because you never know what someone knows. You know, you never know how closely they're going to affect your life later on down the road. So and I'd also say I don't want folks like because we're being very complimentary of each other. Like James and I do critique each other and we do bounce stuff off of each other and we will call each other out. It's usually James saying that I'm wrong because I get fired up. Uh, James tends to be more rational than I. But but we do check in on each other and we actually have sort of like in it, like very mildly bumped heads at certs a little bit, which is yep. one of the reasons we took breaks because we both started rising to a level where like we had the way we wanted to run the room and that'll happen. But it's all that like you can address it think about it critically, have the conversation and not get pissy about it because right. it is all constructive and, and not destructive. And I think that's a lost thing. I think fitness people are, we're starting to get really big about having uh, crucial conversations and, and, and having like these talks when we have problems. But I think it's still really hard to hear it if you, if, if you think it's a personal slam or, or if somebody's trying to, it's one thing to give advice to help versus uh, a lot of people, myself in the past included, would take it as somebody trying to prove their worth more than me. Right. Um, but keep your mind open to that. But but start teaching, right? If that's the thing. So someone's done their first few workshops, they're starting to get their feet wet. Let's go a little bit of a different direction. What do you think are some misconceptions of the almighty glory of leading a room <laughs> or being a, being a traveling instructor? What do you think are misconceptions? Yeah, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you don't see right? It, it, you know, you, you get in front of a room of people and it's, you know, you're there for, you know, maybe four or five hours, even less or more, depending on the course. But what you don't see is the time spent traveling there, getting up extra early in the morning, uh, you know, creating your notes for what you're going to go over, you know, it, and you have to sharpen that every time. It's not like you just do it once and that happens every time you have to teach a course, you have to go over those notes, you have to go over you know, what you're going to say and what, you know, how you're going to handle the room. You have to think about the logistics of getting to where you, you have to go. What's going to go wrong? Because <clears throat> like I said, that something is always going to go wrong, right? We talked about that. You know, either I remember I went to a workshop and the bags were filled in, in just a ridiculous way. I mean, it was, I spent, you know, the first hour of the cert trying to, while leading the room, trying to empty out bags so that they could be the proper weight and not be just loaded like bricks. Um, Stuff is going to go wrong, um, and you have to sort of prepare for that. It's not just showing up and, and being on stage for, you know, for a couple hours and being the superstar, right? You have to deal with injuries, with, with clients or with, uh, with other instructors who maybe don't move so well, who need a little bit more attention. Um, you have to deal with anything else. Like we've, all, we've both been there where 
you know, maybe you didn't have the best breakfast that morning. You had too many cups of coffee to get there. Hotel and you're eggs. feeling great as you're starting that course. And you've got no choice. You've got to sort of gut it out and get it done. Yeah, I would agree with all the things that you just said. I think there's a lot of work and, uh, you know, I'll say this, a, a hard learning lesson. And it's funny, Jason Kapnick and I, as a new RKC team leader, he's going to start teaching HKCs. And we were talking about, you know, promoting and how do you reach out to somebody and you set it up. And I think there's this uh, a feeling that like we just get, and we talked about this a little bit, just get assigned and sent out, here's your travel info, go fly. You know, <laughs> like, like, like we remember the Avengers. And it's like suddenly the fucking Captain Marvel pager goes off and we know exactly where we're going and uh-huh. we show up. Yeah, Ramon is like hobbling around trying to find someplace comfortable and she's down, we're good. Cool. And uh, it's not that, you know, for the most part, occasionally OS, OS used to assign me to more stuff, but I like teaching. So I'm very proactive about trying to find spots or people know, and they reach out to me like, Hey, would you be interested? And we talk about it. And so there's that, like, can you find a spot that could be successful? Now I've had a lot of misfires where, you know, people didn't bring in enough and sometimes they have to get canceled because there weren't enough attendees it might happen like once i think the worst year i had was three things got canceled but you're trying new territories and territories are different that's where you're going to rely on the host more because you probably don't have those personal connections in there yet so it's like it's always a little bit of gamble and every year i try something a little bit more a little different in how i approach to schedule and fill my courses yeah and it's been going I'd say the last two years in particular, last year and now this year, um, year and a quarter, have been going really well. Now, the other side is, is I don't think people realize how exhausting it is to uh, uh, fly out, teach for one to two full days. Uh, you know, I love living, I, I do love hotel life for the most part, but you're never quite getting the same amount of sleep you're getting right. that you would at home. Uh, I think the it's same breakfast. It's been scientifically proven that your brain is constantly on a state of alert while you're in a hotel, like you're never fully rested. And hotel breakfast is like, man, you know, especially like I will never, it'll be really hard for me to turn down an overseas course. But when I was in Taiwan in December, I don't even know what I was eating. I mean, it wasn't that it was gross in any way, but it was just like their buffet for breakfast was like really bizarre. It was like a little bit of everything. So you're just trying to find out what's at the baseline, what's not going to give me diarrhea, what's not going to, you know, we went to some fancy restaurant and, and I was with John Duquesne at that RKC and, you know, we're trying a, a hot pot, which I never had. And I got the most bland stuff because I'm like, I can't be the guy who literally has something disagree with his stomach or gets food poisoning or just, I'm, I'm the teacher. So there's that aspect of it. And I do think some people might like rage a little hard and, and, and that's a little bit of the roll of the dice. If you're going to be in your A game the next day, uh, you do want to review your materials. Uh, you know, I know James is the most meticulous with, no, I think James and Phil Ross are the two most meticulous people I've seen with notes. Phil, when I assisted him at an HKC years ago, I had it down to like 15 minute increments, I think, or maybe even 10 minute increments. I can't remember. Well, on the flip like, side, just so you know, Steve has got the smallest set of notes I've ever seen. Like he was the kid who had the entire, you know, test on a piece of paper, the size of a pencil, right? 
fold I'm it up. I'm a cheat sheet kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cheat sheet kind of guy. So what I would do is I, I have the big rocks and abbreviations of sequencing because I know the curriculum. It's more about like what order are we going to present things in? And, and I want to make sure I don't miss. It's not right. that I don't know. It's I want to make sure I don't miss. Right. And there's a lot to go through in a lot of these things and you want to have it sequenced right. And, but you know, it, 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 so I have notes that I print out. I reread all the manuals every time I teach, even if I've taught them back to back. And then I go through my notes and I always have my notes. And for the most part, a manual, unless it's a digital, like the DBRT workshop, I really don't, I don't bring because it's a digital manual. I don't have it. Uh, but I know that content and you know, my outline tends to work. I mean, heck a few of the people in the leadership team are like, does anybody have ideas on this? And I think they just went off of my, my outline, my notes. Um, but I think that's something even in the note taking process as a writer, as a, somebody who studied screenwriting, you know, you do your file cards as your first draft, right? You start writing your scenes. And, and for me, that's what my notes are like, interior living room one you know day we do this and then it's the next sequence the next scene and you go through that and so my notes become very small but i spend the time going through them and now again you and i are in a different position like i have taught the workshop even the newer format now i think i've done uh six times seven times uh is that an exaggeration maybe at least five at least five you did three this year or three so far that i know of yeah yeah, at least five times, maybe six. Uh, and I've done level one and level two, you know, a, a good amount of times. I'd kind of be on counting at this point. But so the practice comes, but I still review. So there's that. There's the work in getting people, finding the right host. You're not always going to be right. And it sucks when you're not because you're either taking a pay cut or it gets canceled and that never feels good for anybody. Then it's studying so that you can deliver. And that, again, even if, if you're in that imposter syndrome mode where you're not trusting yourself, that is what's going to get you through it is just sort of being able to like go off the paper because you've absorbed it so much you can process it. And then the travel's brutal. And then just having a demo after traveling sucks. Right. You know, look, not, you know, I've been very fortunate that I get to go to Asia pretty much every year. Um, but that is hell on the body, you know, spend a day, like literally a day traveling 24 hours door to door, 13 hour time difference. And then be prepared to demo like you're the best in the world. And I mean, not that I'm the best in the world, but you want to demo as if you are, right? Like you got to demo it right or it's all going to get worse from there. Right. So it, it's tough. And then I think one of the, the things that gets lost sometimes is, you know, it's not always the most financially viable for the amount of time you're at. And I don't mean that it's not good money. Don't get me wrong. But I think people think like, oh, they must be getting these great paychecks. And yeah, it seems like a good weekend, but then put in the amount of time you put in getting there, put in the amount of time you're away from home, put in the time that you either have somebody covering your sessions or not teaching. Like everything chips away a little at that type price number um, that you have to really want it. And I think that's part of it. You know, like I love teaching. Uh, it's different than teaching a class to some degree. Uh, but I love getting to share that. I love getting to pass it forward. I like that the groups that I get to teach for are groups that I have done a lot for me first um, in terms of my own training that I believe in, that I've seen countless success stories on. That makes it all worthwhile. And at this point, like it is actually like a chunk of my salary, which is I've never would have thought to have found myself in. Like I'd say it's, it's almost a third of my salary is from teaching workshops and certifications now. 
Yeah, but you have to also keep at it too. And again, I think that's the thing is if you, if you have a bad one, you got to get back on the horse. And in some regards, it's the sooner the better, right? You can't sort of stumble out of the gate and say, I'm, I'm done. It's not going to happen. It takes time. It takes consistency and just outright persistence. You know what I mean? You have to want to do it and you have to keep at it. If you, if that's something, it's a, a something that you want to uh, see as a goal for yourself. You, you got to get the reps in just like everything else. You got to yeah. see like, again, what, what worked, what didn't, how can I improve upon it? You know, however big or small the things might be, it'll make the next one better. I think the problem is someone has like a low attended or they feel it doesn't go well. It, 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 they become gun shy to go back again. And I think that's a thing you kind of got to get over and do it. Also like let the pressure off a little bit too. We talk about how we felt this like, you know, uh, pressure of living up to Josh's, uh, you know, uh, footsteps filling filling his shoes but like josh wasn't putting that on us i think josh has actually been very cool like after my first couple uh, couple of years of, of of teaching for him was like you know like i've got a very different voice and some people might connect more to my voice some people might connect more to james's voice some people are going to connect to james's voice and i think that's important but also if you teach classes all the time and teach people how to swing within the context of a class you can get through a four-hour eight-hour workshop it's just you got to pace yourself and, and, and think about what, what, what are the goals of the day, I guess. Yeah. Like you're already used to being in front of the, a room. For most people, the scary part about presenting anything, or no matter what the career is, getting in front of people. Trainers, we're in front of people all the time. Right. You know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. MFF, I've been in front of people in like my underwear. I've been in front of people in like Godzilla <laughs> tights, in, in onesies. I'm on the damn door still of both of them. <laughs> <laughs> in a leopard skin uh, singlet, right? Like, it's just, just go out and teach and, and, and then be honest with yourself how it went. But, but with that, don't be like, oh, that was a failure. I'm done. Go back at it. Or maybe you just don't like that aspect, right? right? Like, that is a thing too. And it's okay. I think like social media, I think like instructing, I think like creating online programs, whatever it is, we see all these avenues in fitness that we think we have to do them all. But like, do the things that sort of reach to you. You're going to have to do some shit you don't like because that's part of the business. But you don't have to do all the things you don't like. Right. Um, wow. We just talked a lot about instructing. We did. Hey, uh, listeners, it, let us know if that resonates at all. I hope that helps because I, I know one of the things that I struggled with at the start was like, I just wanted to assist to help. And then, you know, I saw that this was becoming like, a, you know, a different avenue for me. I hope this helps because it's, it's very amorphous how you go from step A to step B to step C to becoming a, a leadership in, in a group. I think that the best way is to try to assist and don't take it personal if you can't assist all the time because a lot of people want to, but make yourself available. That is where creating content, like if you're into a brand, creating content, material, writing, shooting videos about it, helping express it goes a long way because the people will see that you're supporting what they do, right? Whether it's their product, their curriculum, their ideology, their philosophy, whatever it is. And uh, just put yourself out there. Be vocal. Don't be shy about reaching out. I think a lot of people on the, in the DVRT team, uh, I would imagine just reached out very sincerely to Josh uh, about their passion for the system that, that, that opened doors. And uh, don't be shy. Like ask folks, but also know like it, it James and I don't always have any sort of sway in that. A lot of that you have to take upon yourself. Right. But, you know, 
it does does resonate. Like Scott Corso is a great example. He's a new DVRT master instructor, awesome guy, physical therapist. Scott went through DVRT level one and level two with me in Boston at Artemis and Eric's place, uh, Iron Body, before they moved out to Vegas. He did the workshop with us in Cheshire before that. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot that was the first time. Cheshire. All right, great. Uh, I had to leave that one early because I had some family stuff. Yeah, he just Uh, came down and assisted with the last workshop I taught uh, not too long ago. So that was a big help. And it was only a matter of time. And that's a perfect example, right? Here's somebody who has invested in the system. He took level one, level two with you, came back, took restoration and level one again with Josh at Drew's place, um, then came back and assisted. Uh, at my workshop Um, and he really he made himself valuable and as a physical therapist you know to hear his voice was really powerful in the room where we could refer to him and say Scott you know the system what what's your take on this and that was great and it's it's great to have him as part of the team too because he brings a perspective that we just don't have yeah I'll also step up he went through the level two with me in Boston and then assisted at the one at Milestone out at um uh Jenna's spot. He assisted there and it was great because it's, it's, you know, he's a clinician. It could bring into it and we can, you know, if you want to like, if anybody might be questioning if something's legit as a system, Oh, Hey guys, I just said this. Hey, Mr. Doctor guy, (laughs) 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 that would be a thing. How would you handle that? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's really good to have that on board. Um, but you know, he just put it out there. He believed in the system and he took time practicing it. I think unfortunately a lot of times people just like they go through a certain, they want to be the guy. And you and I spent a lot of time in the system and, and what in DVRT and within kettlebells for me and, and, you know, OS. And I think actually OS was relatively quick for me because Tim was online training for me. So I had a little bit of a background with that, but you know, you spend some time in it and uh, you just grow like you would your strength training. You grow as a presenter, you grow with your knowledge base on it. There's still stuff that confuses me. DVRT is a, a wonderfully deep system that is constantly evolving. It's one of the, the, the wonderful things about it, but it's also interesting is like James and I talk about it. Like the system has evolved a lot since we started. Yeah, sure. Um, that you have to actively stay on top of it and uh, you know, don't take anything for granted. One last thing before we move on about the instructors uh, portion that we were just talking about, you know, it's also, I think, okay for people to understand that you don't have to become a master instructor to be a successful coach or trainer. Right. I think for for a lot of people, that's just not their avenue. They're not going to do that. I'll never do online coaching. It's just not what I'm going to do. Right. I'm more of that you know, hands on face to face type of thing. Um, but I, I think a lot of people get caught up in the idea that oh, I have to become a master instructor. I have to do this. I have to do it. It might just not be for you. Right. Not everybody's comfortable standing in front of a room full of people trying to talk. It, it takes practice. And if you don't have that passion for it, then maybe that's not your path. You know, if it, if it becomes overwhelmingly stressful, the idea of it or the follow through of it, like think about like, is that like a, a, a Stephen Pressfield, like fear resistance type thing that you have to overcome? Or is it like literally like, you know what? My heart's really not in it. Like this might not be worth my time to lead. Doesn't mean you can't be a supporter or, or use certainly. And, and I think those are things that, again, there's all these aspects that we're supposed to be great. And I, I know I've had people come up to me about like, you know, creating a podcast now. You know, we're, we're well over a year in. This will be episode 82, which sounds crazy to see. That's official number episodes, probably like 85 with the bonus ones. It's a lot of work. And, you know, on one end, James and I will talk that people think like I don't create enough material to go out there. But at the same point, I'm putting out a podcast every week on my own, right? This is like a, 
a three to four hour a week endeavor between scheduling, recording, editing, mixing, and putting it out, right? Um, but I, it's not necessarily bringing me clients. It's, uh, I've gotten some really nice feedback that feels great, but I do it because I get a lot out of it and I'm hoping the people that, the few people that listen get something out of it, but I, I'm hoping like, uh, I've learned a lot from doing it, but is this like a career necessity for me? Like, would I be any more successful or less successful without this podcast? No, like it, it doesn't have like, you know, I make, James is actually one of the patrons, one of the, one of the four or five patrons of this group. Um, I make about 16 bucks a month. That's great. It's more than I was expecting to make. But if you put it in for the amount of work I spend a month, would that be the best thing in my time if I felt like this was a, a, a career necessity? Hell no. I would do other things. I just like the podcast. It's just like, I think some people think you have to present to build up a value, but I think it's actually, uh, if you don't feel this in your gut to teach, your value is in the client you already have and expanding upon that. And I think that gets lost. Just right. like you mentioned that human connection. We're always trying to do like, how do I do online coaching? How do I do a podcast? How do I create more uh, suffer online where it's like, if you really aren't concerned with a broader teaching thing or becoming, I guess, some sort of an influencer, just focus on your clients. Cause the, the most successful trainers in your neighborhood, you probably haven't heard of. Right. And they're probably not posting every day. <laughs> um, you know, like, and I don't mean that to be dismissive of anybody that does it. I think we all have our strategies and our tactics and, you know, James and I are, are, are going to be piggybacking some videos back and forth, um, some cool stuff with DBRT. Um, and I just, you know, something for Strength Facts and I just shot, came out today. So I'm not saying we're not creating stuff, but I also don't want it to just be clutter. I want it to be something that I think is helpful and explain, explains a point differently than just verbatim what you heard in a cert. I think a lot of the times now people just like, I went through this kettlebell cert. This is how you do a swing. And if you were to scroll through a thousand swing videos, it would almost be, or probably be within 10% exactly what the instructor said at the cert they went through. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, find your bliss in it all. Find what makes you happy, even if it doesn't make you money. Um, but then find the avenue that makes you money and make sure that you're supporting that. Because sometimes, sometimes that's freaking hard. You know? Uh, man. I know you and I have both been through the ringer a little bit in the last six months and uh, man, just trying to put on the happy face sometimes is enough, yeah. right? Yeah. Start adding all this other pressure. It's an, it's an honorable profession that we're in, right? But it is, it can be torturous, right? It's not easy. It's hard. Um, and you have to have a passion for it or you will not last, right? But you also have to follow your passion, right? You can't listen to what someone tells you you should be doing. You have to do what your heart tells you you should do right? You don't have to do online coaching. Like I said, you don't have to teach, right? Uh, you just have to, if this is what you want to do, then you have to get in front of people. You have to coach. You know, I never thought of it this way in particular. Like if you don't love training people, don't worry about instructing or online coaching. Like, yeah, exactly. like being with people, right. you're probably in the wrong field. I never thought of it that way, but like in the heart of it all, like coaching is the centerpiece of it. Like human interaction is the centerpiece of it. You could be a gym owner maybe and not love training people because you could be the business person side. Right. That's right. awesome. It's actually probably, we probably need more of those uh, paired with proper uh, fitness minded people. If anybody wants to donate, <laughs> if anybody wants to invest in Fury, Coach Fury, uh, hit me up. 
But I, I think that's part of it. If, if you're already becoming a newer coach or you're kind of, you know, and you're like thinking online strategies before you've booked in like your first 200 hours with the person, you should probably rethink that. Right. Uh, find out that if you love it or not, because it is a stressful job. And, you know, James is coming at this as, as a business owner. He's the owner of Quest Fitness in Guilford, Connecticut. I'm coming at this as sort of a, a, from a, as a former employee of a couple of amazing gyms and somebody who's, I guess, on the entrepreneur route towards ownership now. You know, I'm finally making the big steps that I've, I've been trying to hope to as much as people have been like, maybe you don't want to own. I, I'm going to throw myself in that fire. But I also realize that that fire is going to remove me a little bit from training people. Um, so I have to find that balance where I still want to you know, get my hours training folks. But that also comes now with, you know, eight, eight, eight and a half years of experience. May is going to be five, uh, eight years full time as a coach. Wow. And that's almost triple the amount of the, the average lifespan, career lifespan of a, of, a, of a coach. So do I consider myself a veteran? James has been in this game way longer than I have. But am I new anymore? Hell no. <laughs> right? Like I've got enough, yes. and I guess through the teaching stuff, enough varied experience. Um, that, you know, I can see where I'm going. Do I know everything? Hell no. Do I have a lot to learn? Hell yes. yes. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, anyway, uh, listeners, I think the goal of this was just James and I check in on each other a lot. We talk about presenting. We talk about creating stuff, um, you know, having a sounding board and how do we, you know, how, how do people help advance each other and make these big steps? And in the context of people reaching out about assisting at workshops and asking how you get this stuff. Uh, I think it's it's just a good way to go about. Here's a perspective from the inside, and you don't hear a lot of that—the good and the bad—and and what to expect. And I think I think it, it I think people like to think it's all like great. It's either too hard on one end, or it's just like I'm the shit on the other end. And I think it's a it's a lot of work. Like anything, you, you start working just like you would work on your, uh, you know, uh, max lunge technique. You're working on your teaching. How many times I, I busted you on the MK thing? I know I say I'm um a lot. Uh, I I know that I've cursed probably about four to five times on this podcast. I am actively trying to curse less, even though it's listed as explicit because I started using it. I caught I was using it as a crutch between words. It's a really tricky thing, but that's something you pick up because you I'm trying to be better at this podcast. Right. I don't always succeed though. Hopefully this is one of the better ones. I think it is. I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, James, anything else you'd like to add? No, I'll just say uh, thank you again for having me on. I'm, I'm honored to be one of the few that's been on twice, right? 10 and 85. That's not too bad. Right? It's not 85. You're 82. 82. All right. Yeah. Well, but, you know, it's also, you know, I'm proud to be a patron for you and what you're doing. Like I said, you know, listen, we talked about it multiple times today, but this is about relationships. And if you can find a way to sort of find people who support you, who will be sounding board uh, for your ideas and what's going on the way that you and I do, right? It's, it's a great thing. You have to create those relationships. Because like we talked about, this is not an easy business. No one gets through this alone right? You are going to have to reach out and create relationships either with your clients or with people who can mentor you or who can support you when you think the shit is about to hit the fan, right? And, you know, you've done that for me numerous times and pulled me out of the gutter a couple times. And I've done the same thing for you. Hey, Steve, calm down. More uh, times for me. Folks, <laughs> <laughs> I will literally text James and be like, ready for a rant? <laughs> right. 
but that's important. You know, it, it's, a, it's about trying to sort of create these relationships. I, I, you know, I can't stress that enough. You, you've got you've to reach out and you've, you've got to sort of talk to people and, 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 and rely on them. I, I, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I've relied on you or relied on uh, Josh and, and, and different people within our group who to, you know, give me business advice or, or just to sort of give me a little kick in the ass every now and then. But just you, we all need somebody. Right. It's it's about creating those relationships and, and keeping those and fostering those relationships. Yeah. And I fully agree. Like I, I would also say if you're around James or I hit us up, ask for help. But also when you run into somebody like Josh Hankin that clearly has a much bigger name, established reputation or um, Tim Anderson and I were talking about John Brookfield and Dan John on the last episode. Some of the biggest names are the most approachable. And if they're really not, then you might want to reconsider in my opinion, how you're going to value them. Right. Like most people, most teachers want to share and, 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 and get to meet people. And they realize that your, their, their success is based on people's support, both financially and, 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 you know, however they're sharing content or getting the word out. Uh, some of the biggest names that I've met in the field are the most openly generous. And quite frankly, not that nobody should have to, but probably don't have to be. They could probably like round out their careers very successfully just on name alone, putting out stuff. And uh, it's amazing. And, you know, it's something that I, I certainly won't, I don't think I'll ever have a name quite like Josh or Dan John. I mean, hell, I already got too late of a start for that. But like, I'd like to think that people find me approachable and then I'm going to give them like an honest answer. And uh, with that, come and take a DVRT workshop yeah. <laughs> with James and I at the Kettlebell Fitness Center in Albany on the 28th. We already have a lot of friends. So this is like uh, one of those cool things about connections is, you know, when it's time to, you know, get people at a workshop. Again, Nancy's a friend, some of her crew that doesn't really need to go through a DVRT workshop because they've taken courses with us already or showing up for that. I reached out to my friend Scott from OS and he's signed up with two other people. I hit up friends from other places that I've been at. And it's not like you're necessarily, you know, uh, in wedding party material, but like folks get to know people maintain those relationships. That is where social media is freaking awesome. You friend up the people. And if you go into a workshop, right? Like you don't really care about instructing or whatever, leadership roles, assisting, yada, yada. Still get to know the people you're coaching, get their numbers, friend them up. You never know when that person's going to show up at another course or have a job opportunity or, or something that you can help each other. And who knows? You just might end up going to like the movies and stuff and shooting shit about comic books. So uh, it's a really cool field. Uh, I think on this podcast, I hope we show enough of the positivity. Uh, I, I, I don't know if we've gone on any sort of, sometimes it feels a little negative because it's a lot of work. And sometimes my life stress will come through. That's kind of hard. But uh, I use this as like sort of my therapy to hash out my ideas and improve upon them. Uh, or just by improving upon them, proving that they're wrong sometimes. So uh, take that time to meet people and come out April 28th, the Kettlebell Fitness Center. Go to coachfear.com. And sign up. Uh, I think actually as of today, I think there's like six spots left. Actually, because like we've been like, hey, we just got a bunch of people sign up in the last 24 hours. But I, I we'll, think we'll the, make more. I think more. the cap's like 20. Yeah, I think so. I think we said well, 20. Well, because both of us, I think we can we can do more than that if there's two of us there. If yeah. you're a single single master, you need more. If there's, I think if the number goes over 15, you need to bring someone else in. So we got it. So come hang out with James and I, learn some stuff, and uh, have an awesome week. James, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Please, die mighty.
And folks, we'll check in on our end game predictions. If I remember to check in on our end game predictions. Yeah. After the movie. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great week, James. Thanks for coming on. Where can people follow you? I forgot to ask that. Uh, you can follow me, of course, at uh, questguilford.com um, and uh, questguilford uh, on Facebook and JMLN88 on Instagram. Yeah, that's smooth. I got to fix that. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, bud. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.NYC for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voice over by Laura Palmer. <laughs>